Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? I'm feeling good. You know, the Mariners had a nice win against the Astros yesterday to salvage a game after being outscored, I think, 29-3 to in the first two games. Uh, Penn State football starting up soon. I've, I laid my first two college football bets of the season down. I'm feeling good. Uh, are you at liberty to discuss what those bets are? Of course. The first one I put down was, um, what was it, Penn State plus four and a half for week one. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then the other one was a parlay with that, and then I parlayed it with, um, was it Indiana plus four and uh, Ohio State minus 14. Okay, I was going to say, you bet... As all of you know, uh, I am not a particularly big gambler. Um, I place a couple of dumb bets a year when I go out to the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas. But uh, if I were a gambling man, and I'm not just saying this because I now live in Columbus, Ohio, um, I would bet everything I've ever owned on Ohio State covering 14, 14 and a half, Nick. Uh, yeah, 14, 14. 14. I mean, it might be 14 and a half now. I don't know, but it, I got it at 14. A game at Minnesota where Minnesota is trying to do a blackout, like, sweeties, no. No, 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 Yeah, or, it's, it's yeah. not even about what I think about Ohio State. Like, yeah, I think Ohio State's going to be just fine, but I think Minnesota's going to be god-awful. So. And also, like, there's, a, there's always, like, a poking the bear element of trying to do anything to get your crowd going with Ohio State. Like, Ryan Day is a sociopath. He... He's with like a new quarterback in there. He's going to want to prove like, listen, we're, we're going to be quite good. We're going to be able to run it up. So yeah, like if you, if y'all live in a state where you are able to legally wager, um, Nick and I put our full endorsements behind that, but uh, we will, yeah, maybe we'll touch on some, yeah, we'll touch on betting stuff probably next week when we uh, preview Penn State's game against Wisconsin. But before we do that, we're in this final stretch run leading up to the season. What we want to do is we're going to be doing a four-part season preview podcast series. Uh, this episode is going to be Nick and I breaking down Penn State's offense. We have a few more episodes that are going to be coming. Make sure you are checking out your podcast feeds for those. But we're going to start with Penn State's offense. And it was a group that was pretty... Um, I, I think maligned might be the right word for this. Uh, obviously, the offense went through a very big offseason last year, bringing in Kirk Shiraka, uh to run, run the offense, replacing Ricky Ronnie, put Phil Troutwine as the offensive line coach, and they basically didn't have any sort of – like they didn't have the long runway you usually have with those sorts of things. And we saw – the issues that came with that, Penn State's rushing offense averaged three yards a carry. Uh, of course, there were a whole lot of injuries that played into that. Passing attack, not particularly, um, we'll go with dangerous. Uh, Sean Clifford, I think we can all agree, underwhelmed a little bit last year. 1,883 yards, 60.6% completion, 16 touchdowns, nine interceptions replaced by Will Levis for stretches. Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington were certainly bright spots. Brenton Strange turned into a bright spot. And now we're in the Mike Yurcich era of Penn State football, Nick. But I still feel like there's this discourse as we're entering the season about Penn State's offense and some pretty widespread concerns that I think fans have. So before we start diving into the units, reads, to the pessimist, all these sorts of things, Let's just start with a conversation of generally how are we feeling about the Nittany Lion offense heading into the 2021 season? Yeah, so it's interesting because Penn State actually was the second, um, the second, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they averaged the second most offensive yards per game in the Big Ten last year behind only Ohio State. Ohio State was 519 <laughs> yards of offense per game and Penn State was 430. So like, that wasn't necessarily the issue. The issue was more that they were very middle of the road in the conference when it came to actually putting points on the board and scoring touchdowns. Um, they were pretty middle of the road when it came to first down. So it's like they, it's like the guts were there, but they couldn't put the finishing touches on anything. And it didn't help that the first, I mean, the, I wouldn't say the first uh, two games of the season necessarily felt disjointed on offense, but they definitely kind of tumbled off from there. 
So it it was a weird offensive season last year. Like it wasn't bad, but it was weird, and it wasn't the standard that Penn State fans were hoping for and expecting for after what Kirk Shiraka did in Minnesota the year before with a, I mean, overall, a less talented team. I mean, to a better receiving core he had over there with Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, but it's not like Penn State was lacking receivers. But, you know, heading into the season, I I don't know. I don't feel bad. I like, I really like the skill position weapons that are around Clifford. I mean, Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington is a really, really nice one-two at receiver. I still have high hopes for Keandre Lambert-Smith as the third receiver. Um, the tight end room, I think, is going to be awesome. Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson are both really, really good players already. I think the offensive line is going to, you know, I think the, I think the offensive line is finally going to be that that group that we've been hoping for for years would finally be the offensive line to take the step forward. I think this year actually is that group. It's just you have to be a little uneasy because the biggest question mark is the quarterback. And if Sean Clifford isn't at least able to get back to what he did in 2019, then, you know, it's all that other stuff doesn't really mean as much. So I feel okay. I don't feel bad. I don't necessarily think that I feel like I don't feel playoff confident, but I, I think it's going to be an improved unit. Yeah. I'm glad that's what you mentioned with cliff with, with the quarterback it, I, it that seems to be the big thing for penn state football fans this entire offseason we'll we'll go into a deeper conversation uh about this in a few minutes when we break down the quarterback position but it's just fascinating to me that there was a point last season where James Franklin and Kirk Sharaka and whomever else sat down and looked at what Sean Clifford was doing and said, he is not good enough. He is not a guy we can trust. He is not a guy who we think can get the job done at the level we need to get it done in order to win football games. I mean, last year, <laughs> year from hell, I, no one's going to disagree with that. Penn State started with an 0-5 record. Uh, and at a certain point, they went, Sean Clifford just can't do it right now. And they decided they were going to pull him, they were going to bench him, and they were going to put Will Levis in. And um, I I don't think Will Levis is especially great. And I think it speaks volumes to the fact that there was a stretch where the coaching staff trusted him more than Sean Clifford. Of course, they eventually went back to Sean, uh, end of the year, doing a, a little bit better against Michigan State and against Illinois. Illinois uh, had 285 passing yards against them, and unlike the game against Maryland where he had 340 passing yards, or Ohio State where he had 281, that wasn't a function of Penn State being behind and having to rip it. Um, Clifford, Clifford re-entering the game against Iowa and throwing back-to-back -to -back touchdowns was one of the funniest things I think I've it seen. It was so stupid, field. dude. It was so stupid, but it, that gets to the big broader point, which is that last year they did not trust him. And this year they are putting so much trust in him, which I think is different. I think it's different to say, do trust someone or don't trust someone and putting trust in someone that they just straight up said, we're not going to go out and get a backup quarterback. The line that, and Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It seemed like the line that James Franklin was trying out all off season was, we're only going to get someone in if they can make the room better. And the implication seems to be, we're only going to bring someone in if they can compete for the starting job. And I, I, that's just a little bit off to me because let's say Sean Clifford, first play of the game uh, against Wisconsin, someone misses a block and then Wisconsin outside linebacker, you know, sends him six feet into the dirt. Suddenly, there's nothing there. There's Taquan Roberson, who's as unproven. There's Christian Bayou, who's even more unproven. And it just seems like there was – it just seemed like if the hope was to go out and get someone who could compete against Sean Clifford, and because they couldn't find that, they didn't get anyone, that's a little bit uh, off to me. Yeah, and I never even really got the impression that they really looked that hard. Like, I – to me, I didn't really. It didn't sound to me. Granted, I'm, I don't. 
I wasn't the one saying the words. I'm not in the room. I don't know really what the tone was necessarily, but it, it didn't sound to me like they were necessarily even that interested in looking for someone to compete. It was kind of like they were either going, if there was like a surefire, like Justin Fields type transfer, then yeah, they'd go in on him. Or if there was someone who was like very comfortably a number two guy, wasn't going to necessarily, I, I didn't really get the impression that they actually wanted to look for someone around Clifford's level to fight for the job. And I don't know if that's because they, uh, maybe they didn't want to discourage him or whatever it was, but I like, there were, I think at least a couple options out there that would have been decent enough, you know, at least put a small challenge for the job type guys. But I, I just never really got the impression that that's what they wanted. And I, I don't, I mean, I get it on the level of you don't want to shake the guy that, I mean, who is going to determine your success this season. But like the room is just, and like you said, we'll talk about this in a minute, but the room is just so shallow behind him. It's, Mm -hmm. it was a weird decision. Yeah. And for me, I, I, I echo a lot of the sentiments that you have. Like, I think the skill position players on this team are just outstanding. I mean, you look at that running back room. There's a chance that Keziah Holmes, who showed some flashes last night, you know, he wasn't uh, stepping in and looking like the second coming of Barry Sanders or anything like that, but showed flashes last night. There's a chance he could barely play. There's a chance Devin Ford barely plays because Noah Kane, if he's healthy, John Lovett and Kayvon Lee are just such a really uh, physical, tough trio of backs. I you look at the wide receivers and yeah, like there's some question about guys two through four, five, six, whatever it might be. But Penn State's going to be going into every game with Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington. And I feel really good about that. They're going to be going in with a tight end room, Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, uh, and some talented youngsters behind them and Tyler Warren and uh, Khalil Dinkins, if he's able to get onto the field. That, Strange and Johnson are basically two oversized wide receivers and Warren is like this mystery wrapped up in an enigma and the optimism that you have about the offensive line I think is incredibly valid after an entire offseason working hands-on with Bill Troutline they have two guys in Rashid Walker and Caden Wallace who I think are going to be really good bookends for them and the middle of that line Des Holmes has played a good amount of football. Mike Brand has played a good amount of f- football. Juice Scruggs is impressed when he's gotten out in the out in the field. Eric Wilson is the kind of grad transfer who, um, you know, I think the example that every Penn State fan is going to jump to is Kevin Reiner, but he seems like the kind of guy who could actually step in and give them something. So there's talent all around Sean Clifford, and so much of it is just going to come down to what does Penn State get out of the quarterback position and what is uh, – what is Mike Yurcich going to be able to do to make Sean Clifford's life as easy as possible? Um, I want to start, though, as we break things down with a reason for optimism and a reason for pessimism as we look at this Penn State offense, Nick. And, you know, let's, uh, let's start with something happy. Let's start with the reason for optimism that we have, because as you and I have laid out, there are a whole lot of them, and I'm going to make both of us pick just one thing. Um, if I had to pick just one thing, it's that this is more or less the same offense that Penn State rolled out a year ago, but it's getting important pieces back from injury. And it had, because of some injuries last year and because of just the weirdness of the season, the overall, I mean, I think the depth overall on offense is improved. So for me, combined with a couple other reasons for optimism that I won't name because I'm not allowed to apparently. But I think the fact that it's mostly the same unit with only positive additions gives me reason for optimism. And, you know, I'm going to focus in on one unit that Penn State has and kind of say the same thing. And that's just the fact that I think that Clifford, I think that those running backs are going to have time to do things because I really believe in Troutline's ability to teach offensive line play and how to put guys in positions to succeed up front. And I think that the amount of talent that they have 
that they have coming back and who have played played college football and have that understanding because that always seems to be the issue when offensive linemen struggle unless there's someone who just like is totally out of their depth. The speed of the game, the trickiness of the game, the physicality of the game, those are things that when you have to learn them on the fly, you're going to struggle with. But you look left to right on Penn State's offensive line, just on you know the depth chart I have up here. Rasheed Walker, redshirt junior. Des Holmes, redshirt senior. Mike Miranda, redshirt senior. Juice Scruggs, redshirt junior. Caden Wallace, redshirt sophomore. Have all played some football. Uh, behind them, they have a guy like Wilson, who's a grad transfer and was a very good Ivy League football player. Uh, they have t- guys behind them in Anthony Wigan, uh, Bryce Effner, and Salim Wormley, who have all spent some time in the program. Uh, obviously, they're not guys who have uh, gotten out there and had to exactly do a ton, but this is a unit that I just have optimism that they're going to have the pieces and they're going to have the guys who are going to be able to help them stem the tide as they go through the season, even if it means as the year goes on, they eventually say, all right, you know what, Landon Tang, we'll get in there. We're going to start folding you in a little bit. Go in, uh, Nick Dawkins, uh, or just any of these other younger guys they have. I just have Jimmy Christ, whomever. I I wanted to shout him out because it's his birthday and his name is Jimmy Christ. Like, (laughs) there's just guys here that can hold hands as they work through the process of getting these younger offensive linemen here and really giving Penn State that pipeline that I think that we've talked about for so many years but haven't always been able to see. And then on the other side of it, Nick, the biggest reason for pessimism, again, we're just giving one reason. Um, I think I know what you're going to say. Go ahead and say it. Okay. Well, my biggest reason for pessimism is that Sean Clifford regressed last year. And it's... I mean, it's obvious in the numbers. If you look at them, really the only thing he took a step forward in was his completion percentage, which improved by one point was one point four percentage points. So really, not much of anything at all. But for me, you know, doing the passing chart every week, I rewatch all of Clifford's throws a solid, you know, it's at least two or three times. And for me, in 2019, yeah, he threw some interceptions from time to time. I mean, he only finished with seven on the air, so it wasn't too bad. But most of them were not his fault. They were like fluky things like a tip or a like a tip at the line or a tipped pass in the secondary or a mis, uh, miscommunication or not that a miscommunication. Not that it, some of those things can't be his fault, but they weren't just like straight up bad throws. Right. We, I, I mean, just to, just to interrupt, like Minnesota game, I think every Penn State yeah. fan remembers what happened in that Minnesota game where it seemed like there was some... I believe the one at the end of the game was tipped. I believe the one at the beginning of the game, just some shorter, like they could have called a pass interference. But yeah, you were right. Coming into the last season, the one thing that I think we all felt pretty good about with Clifford was the fact that he was going to be secure with the football, and we just didn't get that. Yeah, I mean, the the one that ended the Minnesota game straight up was pass interference. Like, and it just wasn't called. Like, there was, I believe it was Jahan Dotson just got like straight up tackled in the end zone. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, but in 2020, it just, he, that was the main area I thought. I mean, decision-making overall wasn't great for him last year, but he threw a lot of bad interceptions, like just really no no explanation at all, just straight-up bad throws, bad footwork. Um, and that, that, that for me is the big thing because footwork is the kind of thing that, you know, once you kind of start falling down that hill, it's really hard to get back to a place where your footwork is sound and everything is solid. So I, I hope the office off the off season was enough to kind of get his head right in that regard and trust his offensive line again. But just the the decision making and just the types of bad throws he made last year really showed me that he experienced some significant regression. So that's that's the biggest reason for pessimism for me. Yeah, to kind of go off of that, I mean, you know, I, I could sit here and say that my biggest reason for pessimism is that like you know, there's no clear cut third or fourth wide receiver, but like, that's a lie. The biggest reason for pessimism for me last year was that it seemed like everything that you said is correct, but I'm also going to add one more thing, Nick. And that is that it just seemed like things happened way too fast for Sean Clifford. And he was just constantly 
you know, his brain was the gears in his brain, like you could hear them turning with how fast they were turning. And it turned him into being his own worst enemy. And something that I think we forget about Sean Clifford is that it's exceedingly rare in college football for a quarterback to have three offensive coordinators three years and three different offensive coordinators three years in a row all coming in and trying to do their own things and they're not just a like by the end of that a disaster amid all of it like this is a huge huge thing like i don't think it's a coincidence that his best year was his first year under a guy in Ricky Ronnie who you know, I, his first, like, I don't remember his first year on campus. That might have been under Joe Moorhead, but he's his first three years as a member of Penn State's football program. He was more or less in the same system. And by the time he became the starter, he was doing something that he had practiced for three years. He had drilled into him for three years. Last year, it was obvious that that was not the case. And now this year, that's not the case again. And now we're going into a year with a quarterback who, I don't want to say this is on anyone, because I think that like pointing any finger of blame at one person is wrong here. And I think it ignores a lot of context about why these things have happened. But like, just straight up, your quarterback is not put in a position to succeed when they have three offensive coordinators in three years. Like, just bluntly, that's the case. And this is going to be guy number three for Sean Clifford. And the last time he had to go through an offensive coordinator change, you could tell that he just really had a hard time staying composed, um, being confident in what he could do and what he was being asked to do. It's just a really worrisome, troublesome thing heading into this season, Nick. I mean, I'll like, We'll go into the uh, quarterback unit breakdown in a second, but like that's just it, – it, it's almost funny that we're saying this about a fifth-year senior and a third-year starting quarterback, but that's just the hand that Sean Clifford has been dealt. And now like – you know, you don't want to – you don't want to give him all the benefit of the doubt because he obviously has his struggles, but like this is a kid who's going to be asked to – shoulder quite the load in a really unfortunate circumstance yeah you're not wrong it's it's he like you said he's been dealt a really tough hand it's it's a really difficult thing to do it especially last year getting a the first time you're getting a new offensive coordinator and the just the storm that was 2020 and really not getting to have real practice and all that However, I do think the fact that the group we're going to talk about next, the offensive line, because it's going to be such a strength, I think it's going to give him a really, really good chance to rebound and start to become more of that guy that we saw in 2019. Completely agree. So let's do that. We're going to go through the uh, positions on Penn State's offense. Uh, We're going to start with the offensive line, Nick. Uh, To me, you know, I just mentioned it. I think this unit is going to be quite, quite good. I don't think there is a clear-cut weakness in it. I think it's a unit that mixes talent with continuity, with guys who just know how to play football as well as we have seen in the James Franklin era. Yeah, I think this is this should have a chance to be the best offensive line we've seen at Penn State in a really long time. Um, I mean, this is the best pair of tackles that I think Penn State has had under James Franklin, probably also including the Bill O'Brien years and that too. I mean, Rasheed Walker is a guy that, as long as he just does what we've seen him do, is going to have a really good chance to hear his name called as a first-round pick. And Caden Wallace last year was uh, really, really impressive as a freshman. And he's only going into his sophomore year now. I mean, that kid is going to be a stud. He forced his way into that lineup. That wasn't, I think Will Fries is playing fine, but Caden Wallace forced their hand. They forced them to make a move. So I think this is the best pair of tackles they've had in quite some time. Um, And then I I think Juice Juice Scruggs might be pound for pound the best offensive lineman they have. I mean, he is an absolute animal in the 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 interior there and I think that he's going to be a, an upgrade over what we got from the right guard position last year um, Des Holmes at left guard I know we I mean he's a guy that they've also felt confident confident enough in to 
played both tackle spots at the guard spot. I mean, he's he's been a guy who's been a backup everywhere, but it's not out of a it's not out of a lack of mm-hmm. linemen or a lack of guys available. It's just he's been good enough to force him force his way into that conversation. Um, I'm not going to say that yet. I'm that I'm not going to say yet that I'm 100% confident in Michael Miranda at center. I don't think just I know he's gotten plenty of reps at center, but he hasn't really gotten much game time there. So I think there might be a slight uh, breaking in process there, but he's been a successful guard. He has the skill set. He's been in the program for a while, so she, he should have a pretty good knowledge of the offense, which is one of the biggest things for a center. So I think this group is going to be, I don't know, this this could very well be the best offensive line in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, it's you mentioned the starting guys, and then the fact that they have that depth behind them in Wilson, in Wigan, in Efner, they're going to be able to fold in Tangwall at some point this season if they feel he can physically handle it, which that's kind of been the thing with Landon Tangwall from the time he was like, you know, 15 years old, that he's physically ready to play college football. Like, this is just a unit that I think they're going to put a lot of trust in. They're going to trust that they've been coached up. They're going to trust that they have this a grasp of the offense. And there's plenty of reason to think that they are going to do it. I mean, like you mentioned, they have the bookends. They have the experience in the middle. I'm glad you shouted out Juice Scruggs and his talent and, like, you know, the mere fact that he's even playing college football at a high level after the uh, yep. accident that, you know, made it seem like his career might, uh, you know, might not be able to get off the ground has been nothing short of miraculous. And now he's a guy that, you know, Penn State needs to get, you know, it's a fourth and one uh, in Madison to p- win the football game. I want them to give the ball to Noah Kane and I want to tell them to tell him run right into Juice Scruggs' ass and he's going to clear up some room for you. Like they just have the kind of guys who mix up physicality, who mix physicality with athleticism, with no, like it's just a really well-rounded group up front. And we're talking about Sean Clifford, Nick, and our various concerns with him a really good way to make sure a quarterback is able to get not be so far in their own head is for the other team to not be able to hit him. And while I think this unit is going to be a very good run blocking unit in part, because uh, I think Penn state's running backs are just going to hurt people. (laughs) I think their ultimate value is going to be the fact that they can keep Sean Clifford upright and they can keep Sean Clifford you know, from getting happy feet when he's back there in the pocket and trying to figure out where he's going to put the football. Yeah, it's, it is going to be really, really difficult for any defense to be able to contain Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington and Theo Johnson and uh, Brenton Strange and Chandra Lambert-Smith and whoever else is out there for the amount of time that this offensive line should be able to provide for them to get open in pass protection. I know you talked about run protection. I'm going to switch it over now because, I mean, Mike Yersich is going to be able to scheme guys open, but just on individual talent alone, those guys are going to get lost in secondaries. They're, they're just not going to be able to account for all those guys. And if Clifford has time to sit back there and survey and let the game slow down for him just a little bit and not get those happy feet that you talked about, it's going to do a world of wonders. We know he has the arm talent, and we've seen him deliver the ball with the accuracy he needs to. So if he is able to feel comfortable behind a line that should be able to make him feel really comfortable, that is going to be the single biggest uh, turning point for this offense. Moving on to the pass catchers, Nick, uh, I'm not including... I'm including tight ends with wide receivers um, just because I think the Penn State's uh, wide receiver room falls off at a certain point. Uh, and they're going to – they w- it wouldn't be the worst idea to roll, ask Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson to be pass catchers first and foremost. Plus, like, I just don't think either of them are, you know, going to be particularly stout blockers. Uh so looking at this wide receiver and tight end room, my big thing is I think at the top with Jahan Dotson, who I think is right there with the best wide receivers in America with Parker Washington, who I think is a gem 
Uh, I think it's the kind of guy, he's a quarterback's best friend. He's so technically sound. He's so sure-handed. He's a guy that you want out there all the time. And with Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, two guys who I just have bought up all the stock in this offseason, I think Penn State has a really good core of pass catchers. And then that's where the question comes in. Is there a third guy, a fourth guy of uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, of uh, Daniel George, Cam Sullivan-Brown, uh, even if you're looking at the younger dudes in the room, the Jaden Dotons, the Malik Megas, William Clifford, Harrison Wallace, that kind of guy who, you know, if you want to throw – uh, Tyler Warren in here, by all means, go ahead. But who could just give them that last little push over the line? I think the top-end talent in these rooms, outstanding. But once it falls off, it looks like it falls off pretty hard. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith showed flashes. Uh, it seems like he still has some work to do as far as consistency. But, you know, I mean, the good news is that the way that Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington both play, both of those guys have the ability to be split out wide or be in the slot. So they're going to be pretty movable chess pieces. And then because they have such a talented pass catching tight end room, it does lessen the load on the third receiver a bit. Um, and it is a little unique in this case that the third receiver that Penn state is waiting for someone to step up in is in all likelihood going to be filling that X role. So the guy who's kind of on an island by himself against the cornerback, which, you know, it's obviously you want that to be some kind of big body, throw it up and make a play when you're in trouble guy, if it, if possible. But at the very least, at least he is going to be occupying a defensive back. And, you know, for a guy like Keandre Lambert-Smith or Cam Sullivan-Brown or Daniel George or whoever else it may be, no, they might not be superstars. They might not have be on the level of Jahan Dotson or Parker Washington. But if they're one-on-one -on -one against a defensive back, you know, they are all still super talented individual players. Any of those guys can beat a cornerback one-on-one. Like, they all have that ability. So if they're on an island in that position that we assume they will be, assuming that Jahan Dotson is uh, filling, uh, filling in on the other side, like, it's, it's not the worst spot to have a battle for the starting job, considering what else Penn State has as far as pass catchers go. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, there's, it's a lot of guys who, there's one, basically one big question mark about them, right? Like Keandre Lambert-Smith, we know he's a talented player, uh, but in his second year, can he take the kind of step forward that makes him go from a talented, um, promising uh, prospects, someone who, uh, when he was in high school, was the number, uh, pulling it up right here, uh, number 206 player in the country, four-star recruit guy who was compared uh, to Robert Woods uh, by Brian Don of 24-7, uh, someone who's uh, the nephew of Cam Chancellor. Nick, do you have any thoughts on that? Love it. Uh, that kind of guy. Can he be a little bit more consistent? Can he go from flashes to something far more, um, far more consistent and far more promising? Uh, you look at a guy like Daniel George, who's been in this program forever, whose physical profile screams, that's a guy you want to go to war with at 62206. But it, it, it's just never really been able to get off the ground with him. Uh, have, Penn State's stats up from last year, seven catches, 73 yards. His physical profile is one of someone who should be able to be more productive than that. And can he give them that sort of thing? Cam Sullivan Brown, we have been saying for years, Cam Sullivan Brown, great in the locker room, looks like a guy primed to break out. And then the season comes and it just doesn't happen because of injuries for whatever reason. In his redshirt senior year, can he go out with a little bit of, the, of a bang, or are they going to have to throw Malik Mega, who is 6'4", 200 pounds in there, and see what they have in him? Can they say to Jaden Dotton, hey, we think you have some potential. Let's get you some run. William Clifford at 6'1", 220 looks like someone who can contribute right away. Or 6'1", 200, sorry. Looks like someone who can contribute right away. Harrison Wallace, a really good athlete, 6'1", 190. 
can one of those guys, uh, once game reps start, give Penn State a little bit something else? Maybe. That's the hard thing about all of this, Nick. It's just a big maybe with all of them. But the good news is that even with those maybes, um, if Mike Yurcich eventually says, all right, Theo, you're going to be playing wide receiver while Bretton's out there as a tight end, I'm going to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm honestly not worried about this uh, problem, quote unquote. I think that I, maybe it's not one guy that steps up, but I'm not worried about the personnel group of being able to fill the role that they need to fill as that third receiver. I mean, no matter who it is, they're going to be at best the third option um, in the offense mm-hmm. because Dotson and Washington are going to be ahead of them. Um, so I, honestly, I'm not worried about it. Really, at the very least, there are enough bites of the apple there that they're gonna that something should work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, moving on to running back, uh, who Ward. Uh, Penn State's got some dudes back there. Noah Kane, we all know what he's capable of. Got hurt really early on in the season, only carried the ball three times. When that dude is out there, he is able to hurt some folks. Uh, Devin Ford, just been a been a consistently solid option for Penn State last season. I don't think Penn State fans realize average 4.1 yards per carry last year was a very capable option uh, for the Nittany Lions. Also caught seven balls for 24 yards of their life. I I don't exactly think um, Kirk Shiraka was uh, – how do I put this um, delicately? Um putting him in positions to like potentially do fun things out there at running back. Uh, Kayvon Lee, once he grabbed hold of that running back position, just the kind of back that I think every Penn State fan loves, uh, big, bruising, physical, 134 yards against Michigan, 95 against Rutgers, 85 against Illinois, a really nice run to end last season and uh, set him up for this season. Uh, Keziah Holmes, again, Saw the flashes with him, carried the ball 51 times, 227 yards last season. Looks like the kind of guy who could be a game-breaking option out of the backfield. And then amid all of that, Penn State is bringing in a guy in John Lobbett who, uh, for his collegiate career, 355 carries, 1,803 yards, 17 touchdowns uh, as a member of the Baylor Bears. Uh, you know, lost a spot last season, but in the years before that was a – very, you know, five touchdowns, six touchdowns, five touchdowns, near 500 plus yards, two years, like promising dude. Nick, I think that even if you told me going into this season, Sean Clifford was going to be up and down, I would feel very, very good. Even if opposing defenses could just key in on this running game, that this running game would be able to make things happen. Yeah, I agree. And that's, you know, we talked before about how the offensive line will help with that too. But um, the room got real shallow real quick last year uh, once Journey Brown was lost for his career, unfortunately, and once Noah Kane got hurt. Um, but the upside was that Kayvon Lee and Keziah Holmes both got a good amount of run. I mean, Kayvon Lee almost, almost reached 100 carries on the season. Um, and those two guys probably weren't in line to do a whole lot last year before that. So, it is. It was unfortunate a year ago, the situation that led them to uh, have to take those larger carry shares, but it's going to help them in the long run because this is just a loaded room now. And I, I don't know if any one of them is going to really be a bell cow. I think they'll mix and match. I think they'll pre- be pretty conscious of Noah Kane and trying to keep him healthy, um, both just for you know, for the program, for being able to have him in those late game situations that they love using him in, but also just keeping in mind his NFL future. I think that's something that James Franklin has always been really cognizant of is as much as he can showcasing his guys for the NFL, but also putting them in the best positions to succeed for the NFL. I know we saw that um, last year. That was, I think that was part of the reason they were willing to move Will Fries around on the offensive line because they knew his future might have been more as a guard in the NFL, and they even said that. But yeah, this group is going to be really productive, and they just can attack you in so many different ways. We know that Noah Kane can be the bruiser, but we know he also has speed, and he has the ability to bounce outside. Kayvon Lee, we we saw him just really attack the interior of the interior of the defense. 
defense, but we also saw him do some pretty decent things as a pass catcher as well. Devin Ford, we know he's more of that all-around guy. Kaziah Holmes, still the wild card, but probably the shiftiest and the, the speediest of that group. John Lovett brings experience and speed. It's just any anything you want from a running back, this room can provide. And none of those guys are limited to those roles that I said either. Like They're all well-rounded running backs. And like you said, they're going to take a lot of pressure off Sean Clifford, which will hopefully lead to Clifford feeling less pressure to take off and run for himself. Yeah, and I that's one thing that I do hope uh, we get out of Mike Yurcich's offense, uh, pulling it up. You know, it's a point that, you know, Patrick uh, Mayhorn made really well. Uh, we had him on for the pod about how Yurcich hasn't, re- hasn't really had the opportunity to really run his offense in a while because of the coaches he's been under. But I think back to when he had Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State, he wasn't exactly telling, well, they weren't exactly telling Mason, all right, my guy, go on out there, lower your head, pick us up eight yards on a read option or anything like that. They were riding them running backs and it worked out well. And uh, this is a point that I made earlier this offseason, Nick, uh, on a podcast with Matt. But I think the thing that makes me the most optimistic with this running back room is that, you know, we talked about bites at the apple with wide receivers over the course of the season. Penn State has five bites at the apple with running backs each game. They have the opportunity if, you know, they give Noah Kane three drives in the first quarter. You know, they give Noah Kane a drive in the first quarter. Uh, they give Kaziah Holmes and Devin Ford one. They give John Lovett one. They give Kayvon Lee one. And they can see who is running the best and who looks the best against the defense that they're going up with. They could just ride that hot hand and then sprinkle in other guys as need be. To whatever extent an offense can be versatile from game to game, I think this could be it for Penn State because I think they have the luxury of saying, all right, Kayvon's really bruising running style and what he gives us as a pass catcher. The other team just has no answer for that. We're going to go with him. Devin, his ability to one cut and go, they don't have an answer for that. Noah just giving it to him 25 times, telling him to run at the heart of the defense, run through a linebacker and get a six yards. We can do that. John, whatever he is going to be giving us, uh, you know, unfortunately I haven't seen nearly enough John Lovett to speak on him eloquently, but whatever he is going to give us in a game, that's something that they don't have a good answer for. Kaziah's speed and game-breaking ability, they don't have a good answer for that. Penn State could be really flexible with this running back room this year, Nick, and that's ultimately where I think if you're going to be really optimistic with something, that's the thing to be optimistic about. Yeah, totally agree. And then, uh, you know, we're talking about optimism. Um, let's talk about quarterbacks because um, mm, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know, Nick. Uh, we have met, gone on about some of our question marks that Penn State has a quarterback uh, has with Sean Clifford and then has behind it with Daquan Roberson. Uh, a, a you know redshirt sophomore who I think has thrown like two passes in his career, and Christian Bayou, who, uh, you know, poor kid, man. Like maybe if he stepped onto campus early off of a good high school season, I'd feel better. But he had his entire high school football season canceled last year. He's now going to be coming in and hasn't played a live snap of football since 2019. Uh. We mentioned I feel like they probably weren't that they probably lost out on the ability to add some good depth to this quarterback room. And this is the thing that scares me the most is what happened if what happens if Sean Clifford struggles? What happens if Sean Clifford uh, gets hurt? What happens if we find ourselves in a situation like we were in last year where the coaching staff just loses trust in Sean Clifford because there's just no net that no established net to be able to catch this quarterback position. Yeah. I think on the positive side is that, you know, just because the season starts doesn't mean practice stops. So Roberson and Bayou will both still get a chance to continue learning the offense and installing the offense as the year goes on. So should something happen where they need to make a change, they will be in a better spot by that point than they are right now. 
I totally agree that right now it would be a disaster if either one had to get in there. And that's not a knock on either of them. It's just, you know, Roberson's in more or less the same situation with Clifford, just constant new offensive coordinators. And he was somebody who was always going to need some refinement as a quarterback anyway. Um, and then he mentioned value had his uh, senior season canceled. So he hasn't played football in a while. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. And I get that they, I mean, it's pretty clear that, looking forward they feel very confident that the combination of drew aller and bo pribula is going to be able to take the reins at quarterback next year but i mean did did they choose to not bring in a transfer for that reason I mean, was there nobody that kind of fit the one year and done profile then for somebody to actually come into this room whatever it may be it's it's a rough situation behind clifford but I do still feel confident that the Sean Clifford we saw previously in 2019 and um, in super, super brief stretches in 2018, just a couple passes here and there, I think that guy is still in there. And I think Mike Yersich is the right guy to be able to unlock him. And I think that, you know, the all, like we've said, the only thing this offense is missing is a standout X big receiver. They have everything else. He has every other weapon he needs to be successful. And, you know, at least right now, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt until he shows that he doesn't deserve that for this year. So let me let me ask you this. You mentioned that you did the passing. You've done the passing chart each of the last two years. I'll do a minor filibuster here just in case you need a second to pull anything up. But like you mentioned, Despite the fact that his completion percentage went up a tick last year, uh, his numbers in 2020, uh, 60.6 completion percentage, 7.5 yards per attempt passer rating of 137.4. Year before, 59.2 completion percentage, average 8.3 yards per attempt. Passer rating 148.5, looking at his TD to interception ratio, it was less than two to one last year, and it was greater than three to one in 2019. In terms of an area of the field, Nick, where there might there was a big difference with Sean, in terms of a place where he was throwing to where there was a big difference with Sean. Was there an area where things just fell off considerably for him last year? And you mentioned the optimism that that guy is still in there. What out of what you saw in 2019 that wasn't there in 2020 gives you optimism that he could be that quarterback? I wasn't able to dig up my the end of season 2020 numbers, but you know, just from recollection of having done it, having done it every week. Uh, what I remember, the the deep passing game really evaporated last year. It was just pretty much non-existent, that 20-plus yards. And even the 10 to 19-yard range wasn't as productive as it had been. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's the biggest thing, is that just the overall, the downfield passing game just wasn't there in 2020 the way it was in 2019, which, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's We know that the Kirk Shiraka offense was very read option heavy and that doesn't always lead to as many deep throw opportunities kj hamler was gone so his favorite deep target wasn't there anymore Jahan dotson did emerge as a guy that could fill that role later on but it was just overall it was just a lot more like you know like 10 yards 10 yards or less 15 yards or less type throws which is reflected in the fact that his uh, yards per attempt went down from 8.8 in 2019 to 7.2 in 2020. It's just, it, it was just a lot of that. It was just a lot of shrinking the field and not using his, he's got a great arm. He has the ability to attack teams deep. And we just didn't really see it all that much. Yeah, I, one thing that I remember very, very vividly was that James Franklin would mention, it seemed like every week after games, the fact that, and you know, uh, we see this borne out every week in the fantastic work that Audrey Snyder does over at The Athletic. Penn State cares a lot about being able to 
create big plays and win the big play battle. And it just wasn't able to do that last year. Uh, You know, the fact that the running game was, uh, we will say, really injured is uh, a, a big reason why. But the fact that they just couldn't take the top off of a defense with any level of consistency was another major, major reason why this was the case. And, you know, fingers crossed they're able to do that. And if they are able to do that, um, you know, maybe some of the pessimism that it feels like exists around Clifford uh, dissipates pretty quickly. Um, But Nick, if he goes down, I don't like maybe Taquan Roberson proves me wrong. Maybe Christian Bayou, once he starts getting, you know, as he gets more reps, is able to prove me wrong. I feel really bad if anything happens to Sean Clifford. Yeah, and I mean you should. There's we don't have any reason to believe that either of those other guys is ready right now to take over. And we don't even know we like I know I said they'll get more practice time, but we don't know that they'll get to a point where they're ready to play college football games. Um by mid-season this year, by the end of this year. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it's a weird situation. It's it's Sean Clifford or bust. That's that's just what it is. Yeah, and I think that now is a good time. We're going to mow through some reader questions. First one from Patty. Uh, is Yurcich going to go under center with the fullback this season, or does he not want to be great? Uh, based on everything we've read, everything we've heard, and I believe Yurcich's opening press conference today, it seems like there is going to be he believes there are going to be situations where Sean Clifford is going to line up under center and maybe they use a fullback, but for all we know, there's just like, I'm looking at the roster right now and nobody has the distinction of fullback on it. So who knows with that? Yeah. I don't believe we've actually heard anything about a fullback, but here's your answer. Jesse Lucetta done. Yeah, man. Like, just as an aside, every time I catch any Detroit Lions highlight, because I'm not ever going to watch a Detroit Lions game, and I see Jason Cabinda just pancake blocking for one of their running backs, I, I laugh very hard. Uh, but yeah, it's a Jesse, beautiful thing. Or, uh, you know, they could go with one of two other guys, Tank Smith, uh, who is 5'7", 225, or they can uh, do the people's pick, which is uh, true freshman punter Gabe Nwosu, who is 6'6 and 302 pounds. I would like it if we went with that one. Uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, this one's exclusively for you, Nick, because I have yet to watch Ted Lasso. Uh, from Ben, what kind of offense did Ted Lasso run at Wichita State? I've thought about this a lot since I saw it come in. Now, I think the natural answer based on those of you who've watched the show um we know that for afc richmond ted loves loves causing chaos he implemented all these trick plays and they've been running them throughout the course of the first two seasons here but i think it's also important to remember that ted lasso is a born and bred midwest boy and you know i i kind of think that he was a i think they predominantly went under center at wichita state under ted but I think they had a lot of wrinkles in. Like I, I'm expect, I, I think they ran a good amount of like Statue of Liberties and you know hook and laterals and you know just I, I think there is a good mix of trick plays just sprinkled in there. But I think the base was a nice traditional under center, nothing too flashy. So let me ask you this: while acknowledging that again, I have not watched Ted Lasso. Um, Is there a sense that Ted might be, you know, I don't want to say the Dabo type because I would never put that on something that a person likes, but the kind of coach who uh, he's the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's the CEO of the program and he puts a lot of trust into his coordinators. Is he that kind of dude? Well, by default, well, all right, well, I was going to answer as a soccer coach. As a football coach, no. I think as a football coach, he would have been and was far more hands-on. Um, I think that's one of his lamentations as a soccer coach in the show is that he doesn't understand the game and he doesn't have as much of an understanding on, you know, play types. That's why they promote Nate from kit man to assistant coach by the end of season one. I think he wishes he had more ability to work with that side of the game. So I think he was a pretty hands-on guy at Wichita State. And that is the only similarity he shares with Dabo. 
Man, I love or, you. Sorry, like a, he does have Charlotte Devo. Devo's not hands-on. He doesn't have anything in common with Devo. Exactly. I, 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 it's very fun having a television show, uh, having someone go deep in the weeds on a television show that you don't watch with you. That is quite fun. We, we could uh, do this for an hour more. Just give, can, me the, give me the green light and I'll go. We have one more pod to record this evening or else I would absolutely do that. Uh, moving on to uh, our final question. Uh, questions, uh, they come from uh, CJ Scalzetti and our pal Dan. Uh, I'm just going to read both of them. Nick, first one from CJ, more likely 1,000-yard wide receiver or 1,000-yard running back. Um, I think it's going to be 1,000-yard like thousand wide receiver just because there's two options at wide receiver, and one of them is Jahan Dotson. Would you agree? And the running back room has a million people in it. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Zero hesitation to answer this. It's receiver. And then from Dan, how many 1,000-yard rushers uh, and who else will get to 1,000 besides Clifford? Uh, I don't think Sean Clifford is going to get to 1,000 yards rushing, so that, that's not no. here nor there. Uh, Nick, uh, by all means, do you think do you think that Penn State is going to have a 1,000-yard rusher, let alone a multiple 1,000 yards rusher? Nope, I do not. I, I think the best comparison for this running back room is the 2019 room, and Journey Brown led that group with 129 carries and 890 yards. I think that's a reasonable – I don't know that it'll definitely be Noah Kane that ends up leading the team in carries, but I think that's a pretty reasonable target to expect for whoever does lead the team. Uh, but no, I don't think there's any 1,000-yard rushers. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think I'm inclined to agree because of the depth in the room. Uh, the one thing I will say is that I absolutely think there will not be multiple 1,000-yard rushers um, I almost would prefer if there isn't because the thing that this room has in spades is talent on talent, on talent, on talent, on talent. And um, I don't want Penn State to um, be over-reliant on one or two guys. I want them to be able to move around. And then besides Nick, little trivia for you. Uh, I filtered out the service academy. Uh, service academies and Georgia Southern because Georgia Southern runs the triple option. The top five rushing offenses in college football in 2019 were the Kentucky Wildcats, the Ohio State Buckeyes, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Phil Troutline's Boston College Eagles, and the Ole Miss Rebels. How many of those teams had multiple thousand yard rushers? Um, I... I'm going to assume Kentucky did because that would have been a was that would have been a Lynn Bowden year, mm-hmm. and that also would have been a Benny Snell year. Wrong. Benny Snell was gone oh. at that point. Oh, okay. Well, mm, I I'm actually I'm fairly confident Ohio State did not have more than one. I'm shocked that Ole Miss was a top rushing offense. Yeah, this was so, uh, th- this was that that first year of Matt Corral when him and John Reese. This was before uh, the Lave Train came to town. Yeah, um, you know I'm gonna say none. I think the only one I would say possibly would be Kentucky, but I think Bowden just kind of ate up all those yards, so I'm gonna say none. Correct. The answer is none. The the most ru- funny enough, n- none of those teams even had someone who broke the 900 yard. Uh, mark outside of their top rusher uh the most that any second guy had was 886 yards which is to say it's really hard to have a lot of thousand yard rushers and if penn state is leaning so far into its running game that it is going to have multiple thousand yard rushers i'd almost say that something is wrong like i I, like at that point i don't think i'd be uh, particularly happy with what's going on in the season because it means that just an entire element of the offense is taken out of it. But yeah, yeah I, I think that's it for the offense, Nick. Any final things you want to say before I hit stop? I uh, do the little read thing and then hit stop on this one. Um, I think the only thing to add would be, you know, I, I think we were pretty negative on Sean Clifford for the for a good portion of this podcast. I maintain I really I really do think he's going to have a bounce back year. I think Mike Yurcich is a great coordinator for him. I think that's a great combo. Um, I I think this is going to be a pretty dangerous offense. I 
what I'll say is I don't think there's a, you know, quote unquote, full bounce back to whatever extent there is one, just because like I'm, this is something we're actually going to be talking about the other in the other podcast we're going to be recording tonight. I think the schedule doesn't pro present him the opportunity to have a big bounce back. And if he has a big bounce back with how this schedule starts out for Penn State, Penn State is going to, at the very least, be walking into Columbus on October 30th with a chance to play for the Big Ten Championship game, more or less. Um, what I will say is that Sean Clifford has it in him to get Penn State to a point where they're again competing for double-digit wins. They're again competing for the college, not for the playoff, for a New Year's Six Bowl. And if he could, you know, I don't think he'd be coming back for a sixth year. I think that would be um, a little bit rough. Uh, But if this is going to be his last dance, I think he has it in him to make it a good one. So Let's hit stop on this one. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Make sure you're subscribing to our podcast wherever you subscribe to them. And if you head over to Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. Please keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to make sure you're buying T-shirts. Lead up to the season, you could use some new gear as we're preparing to watch Penn State football. Head on over to our shop and make sure you're doing that. And make sure you're following us all of our various social media channels, Facebook, Twitter. You know them all by now. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of War Lines Radio. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Be a goldfish, Sean Clifford. <laughs>